Hello, welcome to this week's Monday podcast. Um, where did my inclination to grow vegetables from? You know, what, what were my, where were the roots of that idea? Because let's face it, I, I wanted decent food, good food, um, nutritious food, but I, I could have just decided I'll go and buy that, you know, at, that would be the easy option, wouldn't it? Um, but as a, you know, I briefly mentioned before, my dad um, it was a countryman, um, and they ate country food, and he always enjoyed his food, uh, good food, good country food. You know, he, he would go out foraging for mushrooms and um, take us on a Sunday morning, and he would eat things like pheasant and. Uh, rabbit and game all that kind of thing and he did he grew his own vegetables as well um and so did my mum um both of them uh extremely good gardeners um dad always sort of grew vegetables and that mum grows vegetables but she's an extremely good uh flower gardener as well um incredible knowledge um there so, uh, you know, when we were kids, <clears throat> we had vegetables growing in the garden. Um, so I guess that, you know, that's, there is some, th- th- there's a foundation there that was already set. Having said that, when I, when we had our first real size garden with anything in it, you know, we, we the house, one of the houses we bought had already been lived in by somebody and somebody had already planted a garden and was growing things and, um, these things used to come up, and I was, oh, I was supposed to be in my 20s then. These things used to come up, and, uh, you know, and they grow, and I'd watch them grow. I think, oh, they're lovely, and they grow, they turn into ferns, and they were, they were lovely ferns, really lovely. And it wasn't until a few years later, um, we moved again, and I'd got more into gardening and growing vegetables and everything, that I realised they were asparagus. And <laughs> I'd been growing asparagus all that time and didn't have a clue what it was. So, um... You know, we're not born with this knowledge. It's it's something we learn over time. Uh, I now grow asparagus and I know what it is and I know when it comes up, I harvest it. And some of it then, as it gets older later, goes goes to fern, um, which is also lovely. But yeah, I, I had no idea really what, what it was um, back then, which is quite funny. So, there, you know, there's a, there's a foundation there that... Um, has always been there I suppose and um because I said it would have been easy just to think right I'll just go to the shop and get top quality food it's uh you know I'll I'll buy it from the farm shop or um something like that but uh, you know no I, I wanted to I wanted to know exactly what was being put on my what was being sprayed on my food and um yeah so that that was the the first sort of tiptoeing into growing my own and it's kind of sprawled massively from that um but I had a good a good uh a good knowledge base to fall back on all the time which is helpful both with mum and dad um so yeah that that's that's where it all kind of started really well all, all, it's always been there I suppose is what I'm saying it's always been there in uh right from when I was young. 
What exactly do I mean when I say I wanted to know what was on my food and what is in my food? Um, well, we all know now because it's, you know, been brought to the very forefront that, um, you know, we, we're using far too much, too many pesticides, um, herbicides uh, and things like that. I, um, you know, very often fruit, especially will be coated um you know your lemons get coated in wax your oranges get coated in wax your apples get dipped in some kind of i don't know solution pigs are routinely given antibiotics um those kind of things which you know over the years uh, some of the things i've found out and discovered have horrified me um and I, one of the things I remember, one of the things that I, when I was having a, you know, checkup with a nurse one day, um, she asked me, do I eat healthily? Um, probably because I'm not slim. I'm not slim. I'm not, I mean, I've lost um, probably a stone and a half in the last year or so. But at, at times, and I, you know, I've been thin in my life, but at times I'm not. And um, I don't, I don't keep the weight down very easily I you know I'm one of those people you look at a chocolate bar and bang on goes a stone uh, that kind of thing um because I also have an underactive thyroid which uh which doesn't help but um it I mean it is doable to be slim and healthy and everything with an underactive thyroid but you know when you're not uh when you're not going to the gym all the time and and uh eating just lettuce it's it's very difficult um so yeah going back I I said to the nurse, she said to me, you know, do you eat healthily? And I said, well, yes, I do. Um, because, it, and afterwards I, I thought, she doesn't mean, healthily it, to her does not mean the same as healthily does to me. And I guess that is true for a lot of people. Uh, if you say to me, you know, if if I said to you, I I eat lots of salads, I eat lots of lettuce and, you know, uh, all that kind of food. That's not healthy to me. That's not particularly healthy. Why? Because lettuce and salad are one of the most highly sprayed crops um, with pesticide that you can get because they get attacked readily by, you know, thousands of different types of pest. So to me salads are not healthy they're not healthy unless you are buying um well, or you're growing your own salads or you are buying organic salads and even then there are um pesticides that are allowed in the organic movements um that I wouldn't necessarily want on my on my dinner hence why you have to wash everything uh you know i don't use anything on mine apart from like neem oil um which is a, which is a natural product and and you can use things like that you know citrus oils and neem oils and natural products but yeah so so healthily uh, to some people it is one thing uh, and healthily to me is an entirely different thing um so it's quite interesting the contrast you know it was quite a revelation when i realized actually you know, she 
we were coming at things completely differently. If you if you mean do I eat fed you know fruit veg and meat that hasn't been um, pumped with chemicals or pumped with things that they shouldn't be pumped with or sprayed with things that you know not really particularly good for you then yes I do eat healthily but if you mean do I eat uh, fruit and vegetables and and things that are um, highly sprayed and that uh, that you know no no, I don't eat healthily because I don't eat that Uh, you know I I don't I don't want that Um, so yeah so healthily food wise are different things to different people um which i which i kind of learned along the way which was uh, quite interesting an interesting um revelation really to, to look at it like that uh, never really occurred to me that uh it was two it was two different things entirely pesticides and herbicides and weed killer and uh artificial fertilizers are uh uh, an enormous topic enormous but um you know and we're kind of hopefully you know some of us are waking up to the fact that uh, we're destroying our the nature around us using these things um totally destroying it as a as a species which uh, you know astounds me really because the way I see it, there's there's not going to be an environment that w- we can survive in um, as humans in the future. And I don't know how far in the future that is, but I do think that if we carry on the way we are, there is not going to be a, an environment that is going to be easily livable in um, because we are destroying it, systematically destroying it and... Um, we've really got to backpedal really uh, whether you believe in climate change or not um and I, you know there are times when i think is this just a natural cycle is it a natural cycle it, it's undeniable that we are you know cutting down huge amounts of forest um rainforest and and things and we are using you know, clearing massive amounts of land um, in order to to carry on living. Um, so that that is an undeniable thing, and you know we are we are destroying this planet. It's not a you know, and as I said, whether whether we're causing climate change, whether it's a natural cycle, I don't. I'm not sure. I'll leave that for you to decide. You know, on your own merits, but you know the fact is that we are using all these chemicals that do have a massive knock-on effect on nature and uh, we really need to stop to stop doing that i stopped doing that uh quite a few years ago now um when we first came here uh so 12 years ago as with a lot of places it had been routinely sprayed and uh flailed and moan and everything else uh, because that's what people did you know they sprayed the fields and and things and I can honestly say that when we came here there were hardly any birds to be found there were certainly you know not many insects um 
hardly anything. And over the years since we stopped, because when we came here, and I'll, I'll quite openly admit, when we came here, right, what this is what you do. This is what you do. Um, but we soon, you know, I soon discovered that's not really, that's not a good way. That's not a good way. So we stopped that. And uh, and I won't say that we never ever use weed killer because at times there are something might get completely out of control and we do have to use it but only as a very last resort for instance we've been doing the front drive and uh we're trying to get it clear so that we can put a top coat you know a base down and a cocktail but you get um perennial weeds like docks and they've got very deep rooted they're very deep rooted and where there's been hard standing before it's very difficult to get them up without breaking the root and if you break the root well you're just you know there's just another one going to grow um so we uh, you know i have to put weed killer on those to try and get them back at the minute i mean we're we're, we're not doing terribly well with it because i look at it and think i don't really want to do that but i'm gonna have to at some point before we put a you know a top layer on i'm gonna have to um spot spot do these docks and these very difficult to get rid of weeds that's on the driveway i don't i don't do that in the garden um or anywhere else around the place really i use uh, ev any other method i can use um to keep the weeds down uh which are uh, the weeds are winning at the minute this year they're everywhere um but uh i don't use weed killer and it, it has really shown over the years i mean i i made a list of um the wildlife that we get around here and now and and the different types of birds and everything and it's quite phenomenal really um to, i think two years ago we i mean i was chuffed to bits um because we're quite I suppose we're in the middle of arable country and, you know, there's it's quite dry in that a lot of time. And I found a frog um, because I'd got a little water tub and everything. And oh, I was chuffed a bit, it's got some frogs. Um, so that was great. And, you know, and then I think two years ago, I pulled back a big sheet of uh, membrane and there was a huge grass snake under there. I did have to quickly go and identify it to make sure it wasn't an adder. <laughs> <laughs> wherever we get here uh, so but it was a grass snake and um it, sh it was about three foot long now I, I read up that uh a three foot long grass snake is likely to be female and she's here in my garden so she is likely to have laid eggs because it was at exactly at the right time of year so she's likely to have a nest somewhere um uh, and so we'd end up with baby grass snakes everywhere the which is fantastic. I mean, it is fantastic. The downside of that is that snakes eat frogs. And so uh, this year, I've not seen a frog at all. No frogs. I haven't seen a snake either, I have to say. The snake has moved on. Um, and uh, there are no, But there are no frogs, which is, really, um, which is really sad. But I'm sure they'll come back. They'll come back. Uh, we've got hedgehogs here. Uh, I regularly find their their doings on the lawn you know so we've got hedgehogs um which can move about freely we've we've always had hedgehogs here when, right from when i we very first came um so you know we, we've got hedgehogs so i'm very grateful for that it, we have a, a massive um we have some good diversity here in it with the with um nature and um especially insects and and animals and things um 
one of the reasons I, I say that is because, or one of the reasons we have that now is because I, over the years I have, well, I'm trying, I'm in the process of a process called rewilding. And you, you've probably seen it on, on something on the television. Somebody's mentioned it. I have, we haven't rewilded the whole place because, um, the horses, we've also got horses out grazing and that's, I can't, you know, plant hundreds and hundreds of trees because the horses literally will either just eat them or they'll rub against them and break them and things like that. So at the minute in the paddocks, um, the horses are grazing. We haven't rewilded them. Having said that, we don't cut the hedges either. We don't flail the hedges. We don't cut the hedges. We take out branches that are pushing against the fences, but we don't, uh, we don't keep our, our, I don't keep my bush trimmed, if you like. <laughs> it's, um, we don't, you know, I like natural form. I like things in natural form. I like to see them spilling over and tumbling everywhere. I think that's, that's nice. Um, yeah, so, so uh, rewilding. I, I mean, I will dabble into lots of different things like that. Um, when I first, again, when I first came, my vegetable garden was, you know, the typical type of allotment, if you like, with rows and rows of, uh, you know, monocrop, a monocrop of, you know, a row of carrots, and that's the carrot bed and that's the bean bed. Um, but over time, again, I've I've tried to build what they call a food forest, um, which is which are combinations of uh, of crops. So um I'm looking I'm looking at it now and in this front bed here the the one that I that is nearest to me I have got growing um rhubarb and asparagus uh, strawberries uh courgettes in there I have a pear tree chokeberries an olive tree and then I have the herbs at the other end and in amongst that are growing um, marigolds and poppies and everything else the that gives you a bit of an idea it's uh, it it's a way to grow things all together so that you're getting a a better um a more diverse environment if you like for for nature um and to begin with i it, i struggled with it because um back in the day i was very um oh, i don't know what the word is i liked everything in order i suppose and when you start doing this it's not in order it's a ramshackle uh, jungle forest it's a forest of 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 things all growing together and uh it, you know i initially i struggled with it mentally because i thought i can't cope i can't cope with this it's you know it's all over i can't see where the weeds are and i can't see what's growing here but um it 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 works a treat i mean it's the the, the garden is alive with uh, insects and and nature so it, it does work it's just you have to let go you have to let go of all this neatness and this tidiness and because that's for us humans it is not for nature nature does not want you to you know cut everything mow everything tidy everything that that's not it, what it wants it wants places that it can hide and it wants places that you know that it can hop from uh, one fruit or flower and then to an, an entirely different one to get the range of nutrition that it needs you know and um 
and then you, you get the so with the beneficial insects they will feed on the pests um and i have to say at the minute i've not and this is i mean this forest gardening the way i'm doing it now is i've just it's, i think we're running into the third year so you have to sort of understand that it needs to establish a balanced system um but i think for last year and also it you know it will depend on the year as well and the weather last year i was absolutely um inundated with black fly well i do have black fly this year but it's not as bad it's not as bad and again that could be the weather that entirely could be the weather or it might actually be because my system is balancing out which i'm hoping that's what it is but yeah i so i i do i've got a food forest it looks like a jungle at the minute it absolutely does but um yeah so that's uh you know pesticides um herbicides and things don't come into the equation because if you're you know you're putting that on you're killing off half of the food that something else needs to feed on um so i don't use anything other than uh, and i say to people the sun the rain and um horse uh, the horse manure or i will use um uh, seaweed feed a seaweed seaweed is extremely good or you know i can make nettle feed or comfrey feeds they are exceptionally good um we don't need to to man make these things nature gives us those in abundance to uh to use so yeah so i don't use any of that that kind of thing here um and, and uh, so that's that's another little roundup of uh you know pesticides herbicides and and weed killer The two areas I um, briefly want to discuss, although, again, they themselves are huge, huge topics, um, but they do have some bearing on on this place. Um, sustainability, uh, that is uh, the avoidance of the depletion of natural resources in order to maintain an ecological balance. Um, and... While I can manage to do that in my garden and in my surrounding area and um, to some extent in my life, I can't cover it all and so um, my life is not 100% sustainable. Uh, Just like everybody else's, well, not everybody else's, there are people who will be 100% sustainable and uh, take my hat off to them because in modern life, that's not easy. Um, But uh, as uh, Shelley, uh, my middle daughter, always says to me, you can't save the world every day. So, um, but what we can do is, is just adjust little adjustments all the time in order to uh to work towards sustainability really um that's a that's one one thing we can do just you know identify an area that uh we we can make good changes in and and do it implement it um the the other area is permaculture 
And uh, that really encompasses both self-sufficiency and sustainability because it is uh, the development of agricultural systems to intend to be uh, sustainable and self-sufficient. So permaculture really encompasses the whole lot, if you like, everything all together. Permaculture, it it feels like it's very new. It's not very new. It started way back. Uh, Well, I say it started way back. I mean, back, you know, a couple of hundred years ago, a few hundred years ago, people, that's what people did, you know. Um, We've kind of managed to trash that all. And then now there's a movement to to re-establish that kind of way of living. And... um, so, yeah, so those two areas are something that I, I know about, I've, I've read about. I'm not in great detail. I, you know, I get the gist of it. I understand what it is I need to, to pull from that and what I need to do to implement those. Um, but I don't go around, you know, I don't say, you know, you know, I'm practising permaculture or anything. That's just, I'm just trying to practise a better way um, for all of us, for, for nature and for us. Uh, to do things, to try and do things in a better way. So, yeah, those are the two other brief things. You know, again, if you want to go and have a look, look, read up on them. But it, one of my bugbears is <clears throat> that if somebody has an idea or a way or, a, you know, something they that is going to help the world, um, have that idea yes you know it's going to cost you probably to 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 write it all down and publish it all and everything but don't go and then make whacking great amounts of money from it you know because some of these some of these things so what i'm saying to you is don't go and buy the books you know um there's plenty of free information out there search it out because a lot you know as with anything something comes out Something, some body or other jumps on the bandwagon. Oh, I can make a good lot of money out of this. You know, this is this is trending. Uh, we can make money on this. Um, that's not that's not the ethos of it at all, really. And uh, so, yeah, there's plenty of free information out there. Um, go and search it out if if uh, if you want to find out more about those those two things. One other thing. Um, which actually is uh, one of the most important things, is something called closing the loop. Um, and I know, you know, that terminology be used right across the business world as well, but closing the loop. So <clears throat> if you're self-sufficient um, and you're practising, you know, uh, natural methods of uh, growing and, and keeping the weeds and the, and the bugs and that down... You're doing great, absolutely brilliantly, but you're only halfway there because you need to close the loop um, in order to fully uh, understand the system. You have to be practising closing the loop. And what do I mean by that? Well, uh, things like um, compost... um, so you make your own compost you know you 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 close you grow all these vegetables and fruit and everything you cut it all back down at the end of the year you put it into the compost it rots down and nature is fantastic at giving you a 
brilliant product when you put all that together. It breaks down um, and you put it back on the garden. So you're closing the loop all the time. Um, I mean, there are hundreds of different uh, examples, but that's that's kind of the main one. Um, and you can try to apply that to, to all kinds of things, really. It's, uh, yeah, so to grow it all and, and everything is fantastic. But that that's half the job. That's half the job. And the other half of the job is then, you know, uh, using all the resources you've got and putting it all back in to the into the ground, which is uh, one of the big problems we've got in agriculture at the minute because um, they're taking it out taking you know everything out uh, but they're not putting anything back in uh, some farmers do you know some farmers still muck spread you can smell it at certain times of the year and that's brilliant but some farmers um some places don't and they will put on uh, as i said um artificial fertilizers and things which are which are not good so yeah so closing the loop is is the other half really of um self-sufficiency and sustainability uh but there are, you know, a multitude of areas that you can you can do that in, and uh, you know, composting is just is just one um, a fantastic resource. W- one of the things I I think, and <laughs> I was thinking about this last night. Uh, the you know, most of us have gardens if we're lucky, um, and up until a couple of years ago, it's not really relevant now, but a couple of years back. Uh, you know, the, the council, you had a green bin and you filled it up with all your clippings and everything and the council came and took it away. And uh, I used to think, that's not right. That's not right. You've got a garden. Um, if you've got a postage stamp garden, you know, I'm not, you know, that's that's slightly different. But in my book, and, I, you know, I, if you had a garden over, say, I don't know, a third of an acre or half an acre even you know big enough to get a compost bin you should be putting that back into your garden you know you should be getting that chopped up broke down and put all those nutrients back into the garden because you know your garden needs that um when they brought in the charges uh for the green bin that you know that kind of slightly it doesn't alleviate it i still think if you've got a garden big enough and you're cutting things down you know compost it for goodness sake um but and i saw you know a comment somewhere um and it's and somebody said oh it's a garden tax and i'm thinking it's not a garden tax where where are people's accountability is your garden you've planted these things you've cut these things down now either you deal with them and compost them or you have to pay somebody to take them away. It's not a garden tax. It's, you know, it's accountability. That's what it's about. But uh, that seems, there's another thing that seems to have gone by the wayside. Nobody seems to be accountable for their actions. Uh, they don't seem to see them as, uh, as something that they could, they could uh, assess, uh, uh, you know, and do. Um, which I find really odd. So, yeah, I mean, that's another uh, it's a kind of closing the gap thing it, closing the loop in a very you know in a way that everybody can do you know if you've got a garden and you're you're mowing the lawn or you're you know you're cutting back your hedges and everything you can put that into you know you can make a compost heap and put that in and and uh close that loop uh, that save you know you're saving fossil fuels for the bin man taking it away although i know he's coming anyway but 
you know, it, it's simple things like that. It doesn't have to be complicated. It, it really doesn't have to be complicated. And, uh, you know, that's, a, that's one way you can close the loop. If you're thinking, oh, actually, I really would like to try composting then. It's, uh, it, that sounds like a good thing to do, but you don't, you really have no idea where to start. And you've seen, you know, Monty Don do it on Gardener's World, but after all, he's an expert, so he's going to have it, you know, bang to rights. It, I'll just give you a brief, uh, a brief way to do it. You know, it, you, you need, I mean, you can use the Daleks that the council give you they're they're quite good they they work well or you can build a little uh either a <coughs> three-sided uh bay we would call it with an open front or you build a four-sided bay with a front that opens choice is yours it's you know down to aesthetics doesn't really matter which way you do it and um, i leave mine open to the elements all the time so it gets the rain and the sun and everything else i don't cover it um some people do i don't and the basic technique of composting is uh, just different types of things that you put in there. So, and layers of what they will call green and brown. So green is all your clippings. You know, that, that can be grass clippings. Although if you've got a huge lawn, um, and obviously I would not recommend doing any of this if you have, you know, put chemicals on any of it. Because that's just going to um, negate the whole idea of it. Um so yeah so you, you you cut you cut your lawn um you can put your clippings in not too many because they will make a sludgy mess but um you know you can put your lawn clippings in there. you cut your hedges back you, you cut your your flowers you pull your flowers up they're dead they've gone over all of that can be composted that is all what they call green a uh, green layer um then if you've only got a green layers to put in, uh, you, the next layer is probably a bit diff more difficult, which is the brown layer. So you need things like cardboard um, and, and straw. We have straw here, so that's not a problem. We muck the ducks out. Uh, they live on straw. You, I've got a combination of duck muck and straw, which then goes on top of the compost heap, which is great because it's actually heavy and it weighs it down because... Um, it, you know that that helps as well so yeah so so you know new paper newspapers although not so much these days because i don't you know you don't know what the inks are i have no idea what the inks are in half of them years ago they used to be sort of better but you can also put things in like your spent tea bags i have a little compost pot in my kitchen which were and in that goes peelings so peelings that are not going to go to the uh, rabbits and the guinea pigs and the tortoises so things like i mean yesterday for instance the broad bean pods they won't eat however the pea pods i save for them but the broad bean pods they won't eat potato peelings uh, we don't have pigs i don't boil up the potato peelings they don't not that you're allowed to anymore anyway but they don't eat those um so that nothing eats those so that goes into uh, the compost if if you peel your potatoes some people don't peel their potatoes um yeah, so tea bags is generally always tea. Banana skins, bananas great, but if you get the bananas with the little plastic stickers, take those off first because uh, you know that's not good. Um, but anything, you know, all your fruit. I mean, it's difficult to try and think for me because I have two different pots. One is what the 
animals will eat and one is the compost thing so in the animal one like i said goes the pea pods goes uh, apple cores um the tops off of strawberries if i'm cutting the tops off you know anything like that and then in the in the compost one it's mostly tea bags um and banana skin uh, I'm trying to think what else goes in there are there are things that go in there but you know so that sort of thing I never put anything cooked in there whether it's vegetables even or not never put anything cooked in. and I know a lot of people say oh I'm not having a compost heap because it'll attract rats I can tell you that we live on a farm that do, we do have rats here because they like to hoover up all the the chicken feed that's on the floor when we turn the compost heap, we don't find rats in our compost heap because I nothing nothing cooked ever goes in there. So uh, even you know even so, eggshells will go in there, but not if I've boiled an egg and then peeled it. That doesn't go in there. So uh, nothing ever cooked. Certainly not meat ever. Uh, obviously, because you will attract vermin like that. And if you do it like that, it, it, that's simple. That is very simple. You put it all in your bay. If you've got a big garden, you're going to need more than one bay because you want to turn it as well every um, every now and again. Which, when you've got a small garden, that's not difficult. It's not hard. You, you know, you can you can manage that easily enough. Just give it a turn. That just helps it to break down a lot quicker. So it's not you know it's not there all the time. And it, so composting is not complicated. It it really isn't complicated. And you do get the most amazing. Um, soil at the end of it I and mean, it, it's fantastic what nature does you know you can put branches in there you know from a tree and leave it long enough and that will break down that will break down to something small and crumbly um it, it you know it's a fantastic thing so if you want to you know you want to have a go but you've been a bit worried and you don't really know how it works and that that's it it's, it's not complicated nature does a lot of it for you there are just some very basic rules to follow um, and if your compost heap gets very very dry give it some water if it's getting very very wet cover it up it you know it really isn't difficult at all so um, if you've a mind to have a go just quickly going to add a couple of things to that the last section that I that I talked about I very often when I'm listening back to it I think oh I should have said that I should have said that um tea bags obviously uh I mentioned tea bags because that's mostly what we drink and um it, even gardeners have been totally unaware really for until recently that uh, tea bags uh, potentially contain plastics um the tea companies are in the process of trying to change over, which is a good thing. But uh, I, and I, I still put my tea bags in the compost, even though we still drink the tea uh, that has the bags uh, that haven't converted yet. You know, that's because John refuses to have any other um, type than than the one that he likes. He won't. He won't uh, switch to any other tea than the one that he likes that he's always drunk so so I still put them in the compost because you know the tea bags in there are, are, are good the tea tea leaves and uh, I, I I will actually quickly interject with that because I um, 
I could tell you I'm self-sufficient in tea if I only ever drank one cup ever because I've, I grow a tea I've got a tea plant growing and this year is the first year I've been able to take the tips out of the bush because it's not very big at the minute and uh, dry the tea leaves dry them off to make tea leaves um, I've yet to drink it I will they are drying still uh, I've left them to dry naturally um, but uh, it, wouldn't it be great if uh, if I could you know be self-sufficient in tea so yeah tea bags is one thing and that's down to personal choice really that's going to be um what, what i will say is um you know microplastics are a big thing uh and they, they they're throughout everything uh, i mean i occasionally i do buy in um bulk compost because uh i don't not to go on the garden but i do um Another thing I do here is the, the, put on things or dig things up and I, I will sell them um, at the front gate. And so for a lot of that, I, I need quite a lot of compost. Uh, up until about two years ago, the compost that I was buying in was absolutely fine. In the last two years, I've been absolutely horrified in the amount of microplastics that is in the, comp- the general compost Um not all of it, not not all of it. Some of it is very high grade, but I have, you know, when I bulk buy, because I buy in a ton bag, that's it's not the best. So I've I've this year I've now switched back um, to buying smaller, better quality compost rather than the municipal compost. I suppose it is where you know you send your your stuff off, your and it goes to the council and they make it into compost. But there are thousands. And I mean thousands of pieces of microplastics in these composts that that, that uh, I've been using, and I, you know I've sieved through it all, and I I can fill up a bucket, a, a big bucket, um, you know, in in a couple of weeks of microplastics and bits that are in the compost. So it's, it's it's worrying. That is very worrying. But um, yeah, as I say, tea bags. It's it's down to personal preference. I still choose to put mine in the compost. The other thing I didn't mention is coffee grains, coffee granules, obviously, spent coffee granules, because they are incredibly good as well for the compost heap. The reason I didn't mention it is because we don't drink a lot of coffee. We certainly don't drink ground coffee um, at home. So uh, that's just that's just us. Um, not for any particular reason. That's just, that's just us. And uh, so, so if you're a big coffee drinker, you know, uh, ground coffee, that can go in the compost as well. That's an excellent... Uh, resource to be putting back into your into your garden via the compost so yeah that's a another one the background sounds today were brought to you i'm listening back through it brought to you by ted the turkey uh the guinea pigs i could hear squeaking in the background the cat there at the very last minute and of course a multitude of hens that are um laying and uh probably a cockerel as well so <laughs> That's all the background noises. That if you're wondering what they are, the squeaking is a guinea pig. Um, you know, Ted does the traditional turkey gobble 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 in the background. Um, th- those are all the noises that you can hear uh, behind me going on. Um, when I'm listening to it, back to it, I'm laughing really. I was thinking that's a lot of racket, but uh, it, it, it's all good racket, so it's not it's not too bad. I'll round up now because this one's gone on a little bit longer than I had anticipated. But um, I suppose that the object of this podcast and certainly my blog and, you know, every time I open my mouth to people on, on the subject is if I can 
persuade or convince or gently nudge somebody, just one person, to change the way they do things, um, that's job done as far as I'm concerned. Because, um, you know, it, it, it just takes one person to do something uh, a little bit differently. It makes a massive impact um, on on their surroundings. And um, obviously it'd be nice if more than one people did it, one person did it. And and I think, you know, and they will eventually. Um, and this is just my little, you know, chatterings about what I do and how I do it and why I do it. And, uh, you know, so it's... Hopefully we can build on the foundations of that, you know, each person that thinks, right, yeah, you know, I get that. I, I need to do that. Build on that foundation. They will say something to somebody else or pass that down the line you know, the family, and eventually we might... Oh, I think that's a very big thing that's not going to happen in my lifetime, but, you know, it would be nice to see um, bigger and bigger movements towards that. And I know it is going in that direction um, a lot in a few areas, but, um, it you know, really needs everybody to get on board, really does, because uh, time is running out, as they say. Anyway, um, that's it from me today. Uh, Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.